If you would, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We will begin at verse 2, go through verse 16. One of my favorite texts of all of my life. Let's read this and ask the Lord to help us. Beginning 1 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 11, sorry, verse 2. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However... In the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. Father, I ask that you would teach now. Father, we would open our ears and our hearts, our souls, our minds to you. Father, you would have fertile soil for us to grab this and grasp it, embrace it, and cherish it. And yet, Lord, um, it is only by your Spirit. And I pray that your Spirit this morning is truly moving in a massive way. And the Father, that the people will hear. And Father, that I will hear. And I will rejoice. And Father, with a great, great amen, we give you the praise and glory in Christ's name. Amen. I will be honest with you, I have tried to delay this text as long as I could. But it's obvious that the Lord is not going to come back and I'm going to have to step into this thing and so here we go. I will tell you that we are dealing with a church here, the church in Corinth, which is being battered by the world. And what I mean by battered by the world is the influences of the world. I would rest assured this very day that every single one of you have the same battle going on. The influences of the world may be your greatest single issue. Uh, when I was in Russia a few uh, months ago, um, several of the brethren 
said that they pray for us here, the brethren and brothers and sisters in America, because they believe that we are under a greater spiritual attacks than they have ever been, even when they were under communism. And he says the tragedy is he's praying that the church in America would realize it and would grasp the power and the resources that we have in the person of Jesus Christ and indwelling of his spirit. He says you do not seem to be able to battle that way. You seem to have, want to do it in your own strengths and therefore you're not victorious. I found that kind of fascinating myself being that the guy that was sharing that with me was saved in a gulag. We've all heard that recently in the news. Evidently, America has the sole possession of the only gulag left. This man came to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ under communist oppression. Why? The church in America today, let me be really specific. Our church today, this body of believers, is battered by the influence of the world. What the world teaches, world's philosophy, the knowledge of men. This letter is very practical letter, and is very practical for us. When Doctor Stephen Olford heard that I was going into, uh, I was going to teach this letter, he called me personally and said, "This is a hearty amen." I can think of no letter in the New Testament that needs to be more exposited than the letter to the, the first letter to the Corinthians. And at that time, I thought, you know, he's just he's just excited and, and all the rest of it. But as I have studied this book and seen it, what God has done in my life through this book, I have to agree with him wholeheartedly. Why? The letter's dealing with your personal holiness, my personal holiness. How do I stand before God? When God says something, what is my response? Okay. Um, Because he wants us to understand, if you look at the context that we're in, he said in chapter 10, I don't want you to be useless like Israel was. And let's be realistic. If you're a Christian today, the last thing you would ever want to be for God is useless. Right? Right? I mean, you would think that. I mean, some of us will affirm that, but our actions may be teach otherwise. But the truth of the matter is, we have been saved for a purpose, for a reason. We looked at that in length last few weeks over um, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And he even gives you a qualifier there. It says, well, even if you're just doing the mundane, the eating and drinking, do it as unto the Lord. Do it for his glory that you'd bring his glory. So we want to be useful to God, but you can never ever be useful to God until you deal with your own personal holiness. Where do I stand before a holy God? I know, yes, you're saved, once saved, always saved. I agree with all of that. But let's be realistic. There was a number of people who came out of the Egyptian captivity who went into the wilderness being led by God in a supernatural way, and the bulk of those people became useless for God's intended purpose. I see it in the church today. I see churches that have great, massive, I will call them edifices, and they look like they have these massive workings. And the truth of the matter is, what are they really doing? Are they having an eternal effect or a temporal effect? Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. 
Mary and Martha's brother died, and they buried him. Okay? Jesus was summoned, but he tarried. He didn't want to go right away. And so they had buried him. The Jews did not believe in embalming. And so you don't leave dead bodies around very long or everybody will know that you did. All right, so they buried him quickly. And when Jesus arose at Bethany, they were weeping as sisters would over the loss of a brother. And one makes the statement that had you been here, what would have happened? He would not have died. And Jesus said that, I'm going to show you what? The glory of my Father. Right? And he calls Lazarus from the grave. All right? Do you understand that calling Lazarus from the grave, raising the dead body, has no eternal effect? Did you know that? You know why I say that? Lazarus died. All right? Now, for you and I, I understand that Jesus' power definitely was over death. And let's be realistic. Many in America today, many maybe even this church, are afraid of death. But the truth of the matter is, even if I could raise the dead, you know what can happen? They still have to die. You still have to die. Why? The body still sins. At some point, we have to shed this body. That is the temporal. He healed ten lepers. Okay? One thanked him. What was the temporal effect? They were healed of leprosy. That's amazing. What was the eternal effect? Very minuscule at best. He fed the 5,000. They wanted to make him king. Why? Perfect. I like this. Why? We just go to the king. He feeds us. Not only that, he waits our tables. Okay? How many of those people of that 5,000 or the 4,000, how many of them came to salvation? Unless you eat of my body, drink of my blood, you have no part of me. Unless you deny yourself and take up your cross, you have no part of me. And yet, basically for his three years of ministry in Israel, disease and death stopped, ceased. Okay? Those are the temporal sides of it. What are the eternal sides? See, that's where we struggle. When, I, when we look at churches today, we will look at the sign and we'll say, look, they've got a, three worship services in the morning, so it must be God is working there. Listen, if you can feed 5,000 with three loaves and three fish, who's working there? God's working there. But how many had eternal effect? See what I'm getting at? We really need to pay attention to this. And why I want you to understand this is, is because I entitled this section, God's Design. It's God's Design. Too many people try to take opinion and drive it in here. Or you may have been taught, you may have been raised in a way. My wife uh, was saved in the Brethren Church. And this text is very powerful in the Brethren Church. Okay, they use this text in the Brethren Church. 
Um, but I, I want to try to help you with this, and I'm just going to get started because I'm only going to deal with verse 2, basically, and it's just sort of going to give you a, a great big frame to hang what will be coming at you in the weeks to come. Verse 2 says, I praise you. I like that. I like that in this letter because let's be realistic. To date, this letter doesn't have a whole lot of praises. Does it? They're, they're, we're suing each other. There was immorality that everybody was saying, well, that's freedom in Christ. You're allowed to be immoral. Um, you have schisms in the church. Uh, some people say, well, I'm not going to church today because Paul left and I'm of Paul. And some people are saying, well, I'm not going to go to church today because uh, Apollos isn't there. And, you know, well, if you really want to be spiritual, there are some people with Cephas who are coming up, which would be Peter. They're coming up and I want to be around them Jewish people because, you know, Peter, he, he hung out with Jesus. You know, he's, he's got his Bible is all red letter. Okay, and you have that. Does that sound familiar to you? This church today. I had a little, it wasn't a conflict, a discussion over 40 days of purpose and purpose-driven life and all the rest of it and what did I think about it and do you realize the impact that it's having and all the rest of it? And again, I'll give you this. Is it having an eternal impact or a temporal one? Or a temporal one. Okay? See, I can have a temper. If I want to feel better, there are movies that I can watch that just make me feel better. Right? But let's be realistic. How many times are you going to sit and watch it? And what you'll realize is if you watch it enough, it don't make you feel better anymore. It's sort of it's boring. I know what they're going to say next. <laughs> Okay, so you you have to pay attention to what is going on here. And this is a little bit on the difficult text because there's two things that happen in here. One is, okay, now keep this in mind. Paul is dealing with a specific problem in a specific church. Why? I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I deliver them. You know what I like about that? They were teachable. They had asked Paul a question. How does this manifest itself? Now, I can't be specific on what exactly he's dealing with, but I do know that in chapter 8, he begins addressing specific questions that the brothers and sisters of the church in Corinth are asking. And he started it in chapter 8. And that's what we've been dealing with. And part of it is, I praise you because you remember me and everything. What was nice is that there were some in the church in Corinth who said, something here just doesn't seem right. Let's get a godly man's perspective and advice on it. And they wanted to hear what the Apostle Paul had to say. All right, so the, the text is dealing with a specific problem in a specific church. But here's the second part of it. This is an eternal truth. Please understand what I'm saying. All right? This is heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall never. So when I read this, what am I saying? What is Paul saying? What is God saying? All right. It's hard to reproduce some of the questions because I'm not sure what they're struggling with. <clears throat> but I do know this problem is in this church. The secular society has been brought into the church. Remember when he dealt with it? 
Natural man doesn't understand the things of God. And man's wisdom is foolishness to God. Okay? And I mean, in God's foolishness, man can't even grasp. Okay? So, there is a cultural play, absolutely, that pays in this text. But, I am also looking at the Word of God. Please grab that. Alright? If I'm dealing with my holiness, if you're dealing with your holiness, <clears throat> because I don't want to be divisive, okay? I don't want to be disqualified. I want to, to minister, Alright? You can't be saved this day and not have a desire to minister. But what you'll find, especially in America, is I want to minister on my terms. This is what I want to do. Alright? So we've got to be careful when we step into this. I'm looking at personal holiness. What holiness? Well, the text is dealing with who? Men and women. Men and women. And they'd ask the question, and Paul says, I praise you because you remember me and everything. Paul says, I, I, I praise God that you asked me about it. All right? The roles of men and women in the church today, as here in this text, have become a battleground. Okay? And I can just about bet the farm that. If you stay with me through these five points, six, seven messages, that I guarantee you that in some point in this text, um, you will find it offending your flesh. I guarantee it. And I know that the men are all sitting there going, he's getting ready to Dixie fry some women now. Uh Uh-uh. I'm just getting ready to Dixie fry. Okay, this isn't gender specific here. It is easy for a man to read this text and grab his wife around the arm and say, how come you don't get this? And it's just as easy for me to grab a man and grab him by the arm and say, how come you don't do this? Okay. Why? In this church, as small as we are, this text... The roles of men and women is a battleground. I guarantee it. Absolutely guarantee it. And I hope that you're all willing to hang in there because there's no way I can give you all of this. There's no way you could tolerate it. Uh, There's no way I could give you everything that I have gleaned from this in one setting or two settings. Or I'm I'm not sure that I can get through the summer in this text. Okay, so that gives you an idea of what we're looking at. All right? It is a battleground. But you know what? It is also a spiritual battleground. The enemy, Satan, is involved in upsetting the divine order. Satan attacks God's design. Okay? And he will do it any way and every way that he can. Okay? It is clear. Now, let's, let's, re, let's reason together here for just a second. It is very clear that God has a divine order. Correct? Chapter 14, he just blasts these people. Okay, everybody says, well, 13 and 14 is spiritual gifts. No, the problem is you're disorganized. You're disorderly. It doesn't represent a God of 
order. One of my heart problems that I struggle with, uh, uh, that writing of Eldridge on wild at heart, that God is wild at heart. One of my struggles with that is that God all of a sudden just gets a wild hair and goes and does something. That flies in the face of Scripture. God doesn't do that. God is very specific, very orderly. God had a design and He designed it to the molecular point of order. Please understand that. God doesn't just say, oh, let's do this now because that just ought to be great. Uh, And that book flies in the face of God, a God of order. Are men crazy? Absolutely. But we're fallen. Okay? We are sinful. We are rebellious. And we act goofy. Absolutely. I agree. Amen. God doesn't. And God doesn't. Okay? So, we have an enemy who will, any way he can, he wants to attack that order. I want to twist it. I want to pervert it. But God is a God of order. And His order, you see, it's, I, I, I'm just going to touch a few texts this day, but it's seen throughout Scripture. This, you can see a God of order in the union we call marriage. Okay, You see a God of order in the assembling of the body of people that you would call the church. But you know what? I see a God of order in every single part and aspect of human life. In human life. Why? God has a design. Okay? It is evident everywhere. Please get a, think about this for a second. All right? Forget about the fact that we're, we're looking at Scripture. I just want you to think about something for a second. God set up a system. Okay? It has earthworms in it. It had dinosaurs at one time. It's got whales. It's got killer whales. It's got human beings in it. It's got big planets. It's got little moons. It's got big stars. It's got little bitty stars. And it's all the thing. But if you think about it, I can take God's design and classify it into two categories. Two categories. The whole system. Okay? And God has designed it that there is a position of authority and there is a position of submission. I've seen it in dogs. I've seen it in cats. I've seen it in cats and dogs. I've seen it in horses. In multiple horses. I've seen it in jobs. I've seen it in cities. I've seen it in countries. I've seen it on a global scale. And anywhere I look, I can see God's design of authority and submission. Right? Would anybody disagree with that? Because if you don't have that, you have bureaucracy. No, I was just thinking that. Yeah, the federal government. No, it's a, if you don't have that, you have chaos. And God is not a God of chaos. Okay? So... When I look at this text and they ask Paul this question, man, whether he is married or whether he is single, he has been given responsibility for authority. Okay, um, I started uh, a couple of years ago, actually, a leadership class on Tuesday nights. And um, it does draw to the position of an elder. But the truth of the matter is, I encourage men to be a part of it because men, you will stand before a holy God because you are a spiritual leader, period. 
It's not negotiable. I mean, you may not want to be. You may let your wife do it. But the truth of the matter is, God said, you're the man, you are the spiritual leader, and He doesn't give a qualifier. And He doesn't say, well, you have to be married. He doesn't say you have to be... He says, if you are male, guess what? You're a spiritual leader. Now, I also encourage women, if they're interested, to come and be a part of it so they can see that their husband or their boyfriend or the male population has a responsibility that some women think that they'd be kind of cool to be this. But the truth of the matter is, do you understand the responsibility that is behind it? Okay, now I know women have stepped into it, and I thought, yeah, you big bunch of chickens. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, but, but I, I give that to you because we have a responsibility as a man, but women, whether they're married or single, have to recognize they have to have a spirit of submission. Okay? And you know what I spent some time doing? I went and seen what the qualifiers were. I'll keep looking. Okay? I just haven't found any yet, but I'll just keep looking, all right? I haven't given up. I'll keep looking. What are the qualifications? What are the qualifiers for the submissiveness of a woman? I'll keep looking. All right, maybe, that's, maybe I'll find them before I get through this text. All right? Okay. That's sort of the introduction. I will pray that you and I stay away from our opinions and we will grasp what the Scripture says. We want to know what God's statement is. Okay? Because I believe that we struggle in this fellowship with... uh, When I was growing up, we called it women's lib. um, Liberation of women. Um, But now I think they they call it the feminist movement. Um, I believe... And I believe that in short time I will be proven that feminism, women's lib, has found its way into the church. Okay. The reason I say that, first and foremost, is, is that the church tends to want to jump on every bandwagon, every movement that comes down the pike. Uh, I remember Dr. MacArthur made the comment that the church is trying things today that haven't even had a chance to fail. <laughs> so, but we're trying them. And we like to try, um, try what the world says is good. Um, One of the things that you will see, and I'll give you the text, but um, in Christ, okay, there is equality, okay, between the men and the women. They're they're equal in Christ, correct? We all agree with that? We're all, everybody's pretty agreeable with that one. I've got some others that you won't be quite as agreeable with. But in Christ, we would say that we're all equal, okay? I would ask this question. Does the Bible teach whether women or just men get the gift of teaching? Does the Bible even teach on the gift of prophecy, proclamation, that it is a male-oriented? No, it doesn't, does it? These are just things that you're going to have to process through as we go. Because the church likes likes to condemn itself. (laughs) Sorry. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, many Christians 
who I believe are on the side order of the Methodist, I mean uh, the feminist, sorry, that was Freudian slip, um, like to wave a flag. Okay? Alright? What is the flag? That in Jesus Christ there is neither male nor female, there is neither slave nor free, and we're all equal. Okay? Amen! I agree with that completely. All right, and that's their little flag. And they wave this text too, the little flag text, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, um, that women are fellow heirs of grace of life, and so that your prayers will not be hindered. So let them women, you know, we're all here, uh, and we're all a part of this. But you know what they just did when they step up? They ignore the teaching of submission and authority. Did you, did you get that? I mean, it goes all the way from Genesis 1 to the conclusion of the book of Revelations. Let me ask you a question. Just a, a thought. Are God and Jesus equal? In what ways? Are they? Was Jesus submissive? In the Garden of Gethsemane, He said, Not my ways, not my will, your will be done. Okay? Now then, I want you to think about this for a second. He said, You will know my disciples, chapter 10, Gospel of Matthew, because of what? They will deny themselves, take up their cross, and... Follow me. Alright? That was what the little foot washing thing was about, right? Whose feet did he wash? His disciples. Even Judas. Or now ask yourself a question. Why did he do that? Authority? What's that other one? Oh, I forgot. It starts with a C, doesn't it? Okay. I have read and seen and heard that some said that the Apostle Paul had a bad relationship and um, it skewed his view. And, you know, he says that I would have you stay single like I am because you know how them women can be in ministry. Okay. You know what they do when you believe that? You just became the senior editor of Holy Scripture. I don't think that's a high-paying job. And I'm not sure anybody ought to be willing to just step into it. Okay? I also heard that about Peter. Because if you read Peter's text, it says they are fellow heirs of grace, of life, so their prayers will not be hindered. I like the way that they flag that, and they wave that flag and say, see, they're fellow heirs, they're equal. Absolutely. But he says, husbands in the same way, this is the rest of the verse, husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, or the weaker vessel. 
Well, the reason Peter said that was because, you know, it was the women who first seen the resurrected Christ and he kind of took offense to that. And of course, it was the women who found the empty tomb and Peter just felt shunned by that. So he's just going to call them women weaker vessels. Okay, what'd you just do? I'm the senior editor of Holy Writ. Ask me, I'll tell you what's supplyable and what isn't. Okay. There is a divine distinction in the roles of men and women. There is no distinction in spiritual life. Please understand that. None whatsoever. It does not say men pray without ceasing. It says if you're a believer, you should pray without ceasing. There's no distinction in the person. There's no distinction in the worth of that person. There is no distinction in the emotions or intellect of man versus women. There is no distinction in the wills of these people, these genders, nor their capacities to learn or their abilities or their capabilities. Because there's no distinction between men and women in the terms of what they can accomplish or how they can relate themselves to the Most High God. No distinction whatsoever. The only distinction is the roles. And they are assigned in the framework of society, but they are also assigned in the framework of the church. And they are also assigned by God's design. All right? Now listen, no inferiorities. Please understand this, men. God said, made Adam, and he said, Adam, you need help. Dead. And he says, and I will make you a... No, not an employee, not a slave, not a servant. I will make you someone to help you. Please grab that. Don't let that fall. Because too many men say she needs to be submissive to me means I need an employee. Hire a maid. Okay? I mean, if that's what you feel like you need, then hire a maid. So, when I look at men and women in Holy Scripture, there's no distinction between their gender, but there is a distinction between their roles. Okay? Let, 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 let me show you how organized God is. Many of you work. Many of you have jobs. Right? Okay? Um, many of you who have these jobs have a boss. Right? Okay. In any way, is your boss superior or inferior to you? Okay? They're the same. I mean, when it comes to intellect and ability, they, you may even be more superior. But the truth of the matter is, the boss has a different role, doesn't he? Or she. Don't, Right? They have a different role. In the workings of this organization, this management position has a different role than these employees. Okay, In order for this corporation to function, somebody has to call the shots, and then somebody has to carry out the shots that's been called. Correct? And I don't care what the corporation is. It can be military. It can be civilian. It can be government. I don't care what it is. You know what? That's not man's idea. Look at the nation of Israel. 
you had people who were put in the place of authority. And you had people who were going to carry out what the authority had declared. What's the difference between that and the church? There is no difference. There is no difference. In the church, we have elders and we have deacons. Okay? Um, is there any superior uh, spiritual difference between the two? No. No. But there is different functions. Okay? Guess what? When it comes to men and it comes to women, guess what? They're equal. But their functions are different. All right? Um, in the first six chapters of this book, 1 Corinthians, you can see it very plainly that the Corinthians were bringing the world view into the church. All right? I've had people in our ministerial alliance here in Castle Rock, which is a, an amazing blend. And I remember at one point in time, uh, some people asked me, um, what do you think about women pastors? And my response was, I never think about them. Well, I don't. I'm <laughs> sorry. I mean, um, you know, I, I don't. Why? They're not in the Bible. So why would I dwell on them? Now, if I want to use the word poemia as a verb, okay, then I might ponder it. But too many times we take the word poemia and we make it a noun. And that is the office of pastor. It's not in the Bible. Okay? If I take poimia as the verb, it is shepherding. All right? And I know a whole bunch of you ladies who shepherd other ladies. All right? So when it comes to the office of pastor being female, I don't ever think about it. Why? Because if I do that, then I have sinned because I have forced a woman into leadership. And I have sinned. I have just made a woman do something that she's never been designed to do. And I have sinned. Simple. That's not complicated. Okay? What was happening in the world that we live in? We have two women pastors in Castle Rock. One in the... Uh, Episcopal church and one in the Methodist church. Okay, but I don't think about them either. No. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. Now remember, I'm dealing with verse 2 of Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 3. Okay, now I, I want to just park real quick on just a little phrase. Okay, New American Standards translates it this way. In the same way, stop right there. In the same way, what's he referring to? Look at verse 25 of chapter 2. 
For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Okay? What he just did there is that Christ as our example is the one who is in authority over us and he is there to protect us because continually straying like sheep we were. And now you have returned to the shepherd. Guess what that word is? Poemia. But it has a definite article on it. So it now is a noun. And he says, and you are the shepherd and the guardian, the savior of your souls. Okay, then take chapter 3, the big number 3 out of your Bibles. No, you're allowed to do that. That was added by man. It's not holy writ. So put the three out of the way, and where do you walk into? In the same way. In the same way, you submitted to the shepherd of your soul. You submitted to the Savior of your soul. You just surrendered to Jesus Christ. In the same way, what should happen? Bummer, huh? (laughs) You wives, be submissive to... Your own husbands. Do you want to read on? Should I read on? Do you want me to just stop there? Is that good enough? All right, I'll read on. So that even if any of them, okay, who would be them? The husbands are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Are you trying to badger your husband into the kingdom of God? Peter says, shh, be quiet. Show Christ. Then you will receive the privilege to share Christ. That's a Terry paraphrase, sorry. All right, look at verse 7. I don't want anybody to get out of here. I don't want the men going home like this. Got them women right there, does <laughs> Now let's look at verse 7. You husbands in the same way. Ooh. Live with your wives in the understanding way. You know what that means? Let, 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 let's be realistic. Women, I need you all to do this. Cover your ears. Okay, because I want to we're gonna have a guy bonding thing. Anybody here tried to understand women? Okay. It's great joy, isn't it? Isn't it? What does God say we're supposed to do? What a drag. Isn't it? I mean, I read that and said, I think the women ought to have authority. Why? I have to stand before a holy God with that text in my mind. Did I live with my wife in an understanding way? Okay? Why? You need to know your wives. You need to try to be understanding with your wife. Why? It is very important that you understand her. Why? She is the weaker vessel. Weaker vessel. Women, I need you to do this for just a second more. Men, have you ever gotten in trouble because you didn't say it right? Huh? I just read a book about that. It was just the other day. Have you? Okay, and you, your response when you walk out of that situation is, what in the world? Right? 
Or maybe that ain't your response. <laughs> That's my, my response. What do you mean? I just, I left her with a dangling participle and she's mad? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I am today in the doghouse. But anyway, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? If you've ever gotten yourself into a position where you've said something and all of a sudden you realize that you didn't say it the way they needed to hear it, who's at fault? Who's at fault? See, with authority comes responsibility. I mean, we all want our wives to be submissive, right? But my question is, am I willing to live with her in understanding? See what I'm getting at? See, this is not going to be as much fun as you guys want to think it is. Turn with me to sec- or 1 Peter chapter 2. Or 1 Timothy, I'm sorry. 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is the one that we like to, men like to jump up and watch this, dude. Okay? <clears throat> now, there's a lot here that I, I, I would like to expound. One is Paul, uh, Timothy is pastoring a church in Ephesus that is really struggling. They've got doctrinal issues. They've got teacher, uh, elders who have fallen into sin who are actually, they've got elders who are teaching uh, heresy. Um, and, and they just got a mess is what's going on. And Timothy is there trying to straighten this out. And it's the church in Ephesus has become chaotic. And he makes this statement in chapter 2, verse 11. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. You know what I like about that text that most men will miss? It says that a woman is supposed to be a learner of Scripture. Doesn't mean that men have cornered a market on the Holy Scriptures. I see too many men lording it over him today. Look at verse 12. I do not want you, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Okay? That verse, verse 12, says man has the authority. Man has the authority. The woman is to be submissive. Okay? This is a church that was not unified. This was a church that was struggling. They had come together in the gathering of the saints, the meeting of the congregation. And when they come together as a congregation, what was to take place? Who teaches? The men teach. When they come together in the congregation of the church in Ephesus. Okay? And the woman is not to take the authority in the church. Okay? Now, some who have this, what I call the feminist mindset, say that Paul is instructing Timothy in a culture that had that problem. Okay, maybe that's it. I'll read on. Verse 13. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Well, that covers an awful lot of culture there, doesn't it? He's not talking about the church in Ephesus specifically. He's talking about God's design. Man's role, women's role. Are there gifted women teachers? Yes. But when it comes to the gathering of the saints, the ecclesia, the church, a woman is to do what? Quietly receive instruction. 
Okay? I have another text I want you guys to look at. Alright, because I want to show you the culture that was covered. We go all the way back to Adam and Eve, and we covered every culture up until um, this was written about 66 AD. Alright? Um, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14. Um, the context is the gathering of the church. Now I'm back in Corinth. The gathering of the church for what you would call the corporate worship or you would call um, when we were gathering for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry and all the rest of it. So they're gathering together and an issue has come up on the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy and how is it used when the assembly of the church is coming together. Okay, now look at verse 34. He says this. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. But they are to subject themselves. How? Just as the law says. What law would Paul be referring to? Old Testament. Old Testament. Okay, look at verse 35. Okay, because women are all feeling like I'm picking on them. Verse 35. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is improper for a woman to speak in church. You know what that means? Who is supposed to be able to answer the spiritual questions of the wives? The husband. The man. The man. You know why? The law says so. The law says so. Okay? Now, it doesn't say that a woman can't give a testimony. It doesn't say that a woman can't make an announcement. That's not what he's talking about. You've got to get a hold of this. What's he talking about? All right? It doesn't even say that, you know, a woman can't even verbalize a prayer request. That ain't what this text says. That ain't what this text says. It says, I will not have, God will not have a woman take the role of ruling the church. A woman will not teach during the worship gathering. Period. That's what he's saying. The gathering, if they're gathered together and they have a question, they need to do what? Ask their husband. Part of the problem that exists in the church in America today is that the women are asking the men and the men haven't got the foggiest. Listen, I've seen it. They just had a precept class over at Franktown. They had 150 people signed up on how to inductively study your Bible. 150 people showed up. Five of them are men. Then I went over there and found out two of them are the elders of that church. So you've got three men who are in their houses, supposedly ruling their houses, wanting a submissive wife, and when the wife wants to know a spiritual question, he hasn't got a clue. And what does he do with his authority at that point? I'll subjugate it to another person. I'll subjugate it. You study it and figure it out. And guess what she'll do? The woman was cursed with a thing. Do you know what that curse was? Desire over her husband. 
And men today in America could care less about spiritual things. If I'm a good husband and I have 8 to 5 Monday through Friday, two weeks paid vacation, hospitalization, dental, and optical, and all the rest of it, and we get to do this, and therefore I am a good husband. We got the new motorhome, the motorboat, and whatever else toys we believe we have. And therefore I'm a successful husband. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. And that is exactly what I'm trying to get at. The world has bought into the church. And the church is saying, that sounds good. 25 most ev- uh, influential evangelicals in America. Okay, Time Magazine had an article on it. And you know what the sole basis on whether they were influential or not was? Gross profit. Gross profit. Whose standard is that? You know what you just said? Jesus had absolutely no influence. I mean, he had to get his tax money out of fishes. You just said that he is, he'd had no influence. Paul didn't have no influence. He had to work. I mean, the churches he was planting couldn't even afford him. He had to work. What happened? The church has bought what the world is selling. Guess what? Even to the point of the role of the man and the woman. I've heard some phenomenal women teachers, amazing women teachers. You know what? I wish I had somebody run sound so you could take this off. And I don't have to, this won't be broadcast. I've even willingly sat under some of them's teaching. Did it. Sorry. Crucify me. Why? They had good, good stuff. But I've never done it under the auspice of let's gather together in the worship of the church service. And I won't. Never will. Why? I'm not supposed to. Why? I don't advocate my authority. I have a responsibility. Not only that, I have to stand before a holy God and give an account for what I've done in the body of Christ. Did you know that? Part of my responsibility because I am male in gender is I have authority. And I have to give an account for that authority. My spiritual leading. Not only that, I am a hireling. I'm a shepherd. I've been hired by the great shepherd to do what? I am supposed to walk a path that everybody else is supposed to follow and I should be able to stand before God and say, Lord, these followed me and I'm happy about it. Okay, so I, you know, I read some of this and say, gee, many crickets. Men, if you want your wives to be submissive, that you rule for God in your home, you better know something about what the Word of God says. It's difficult for a woman to do what she should do if you do not know what she should be doing, nor what you should be doing. Verse 37 in that text that I showed you, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. There's improper for a woman to speak in church. Then it gives you this qualifier. Was it from you that the Word of God first went forth? Or has it come to you only? You think you're so smart? Is what Paul's saying. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that these things which you write, which I write to you, are the Lord's commandments. Okay? You know what he just said there? If you want to argue about it, then you're arguing with the Lord. Because he says in verse 38, but if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. You know what that means? If you're not going to listen to what the Bible says, then you're not of the Bible. 
Okay? Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking tongues, but in all things must be done properly in orderly manner. And I've just given you orderly manner. Okay? I did some history on the Corinth, and Corinth had a problem. But Rome had a problem at this time, and it was called a women's lib. Women were wanting to battle against inequality. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? In this society, it was founded by freed Roman slaves, and they were given a parcel of land and were allowed to start this city, and that's what they had done in the city of Corinth. You will find that in the writing of this, they had to show a sign of submissiveness, okay? a symbol of submissiveness. Why? Because we're free men, but there are things that we must be submissive about. One of the things that you will find in the city of Corinth in the writing of this letter is that women veiled themselves as a symbol of being submitted to a man. Okay? It may have been a daughter to a father, or it may have been a wife to a husband. Okay, why? It was a free community, but what they realized was is that only the prostitutes wanted to show off because, let's be realistic, if you're going to be a prostitute, people need to see, right? I mean, I've seen this in Moscow, I've seen it in Denver, I've seen it in Orel, um, and it was in Corn. If they're going to make their livings doing that, you, you advertise. So, in... The city of Corinth, not to be confused as a prostitute, the women would cover their heads. They would veil themselves. Okay? It had a sign to it, and I've seen this in Russia. In Russia, the married women would all have a scarf on. Okay? Now, I mean, it might be like a regular scarf. It may be a little band of scarf. But all the married women had a scarf on. And I asked them about it. They used this text. And he said, it's very simple. I am telling the people, the men, that I am taken. I am content. I love where I'm at. Please leave me alone. And the single women would leave their heads open saying, I am I'm available. We used to do that with wedding rings. You think I'm, I'm laughing? We're not in a veiled society, are we? Really? No, wait. What about in the marriage ceremony and the woman comes down the aisle with the big old long trail and what's over her head? What? It is a sign of submission to the man she is preparing to marry. It's a biblical precedence. Now, in our society, they take the veil off, put it in a drawer, and you never see it again. But the veil came from the truth that is said, I am in submission to this man that I shall covenant with, and he is my man. We do it today, our society. Do women dress sometimes to say, I am available? Absolutely. Sometimes they're married dressed as available. Why? There are things that women will wear that do they want to draw attention to? Absolutely. So you see how it's not really changed? It's not really changed. But there were in the church in Corinth, what you had is that I am submitted and the symbol of my submission is my veil. Okay? We do that today in our society. Our society has different ways of, of noting this. Also in the Corinthian society, it was a sign of purity. 
i.e. it conflicted with the prostitutes. Listen, it had a sign, and you guys, listen to this word, and let me ask you if it affects you. They would veil themselves, if they were married, to show a dependence on a man. If they were single, they would veil themselves to show a dependence on a man. How many of you in this room does that bother? A dependence. I am dependent on someone else. You know, that's what the church is. That's all the church is. An interdependence of a bunch of people. We are dependent on one another. Sometimes in our society, that's very difficult. I don't want to be dependent. I'm an American, and I've got a 401k, and da 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 and I have this education, this job, this, that, and the other. That's not what the, church, the Bible teaches. In Corinth, it was the custom of the prostitutes to be unveiled. Why? Who are they dependent on? Themselves. There was also a movement, historically a movement, um, to against the sacredness of marriage. And I agree that there is marriages out there that existed, even in the writing of the letter to the Corinthians, that are abusive. And that women were tools. That was the main mindset. But there was rebellion, and part of that rebellion was the removing of veils, even to the point of cutting their hair, shaving their heads. Okay, I see it today. I see it today. I am rebellious. Why do men grow long hair? Well, it's a style thing. No, it ain't. It's rebellion. I had long hair. I only did it for what reason? Rebellion. Just go through your society, people. Look around you. I mean, I see people put things to their eyebrows. Why? That's attractive? Okay? I'm inflicting pain on myself because... Okay? I mean, I remember tattoos. When I was growing up, tattoos proved that you got so wasted you had no clue what you were doing. Now people say, I want to go do that. Why? Why? I'm not against it. The Bible doesn't teach against it. But I just ask you questions. I had hair that came down to the middle of my back and I wore it in a ponytail at times. Why? I was rebellious. I'm glad I'm not alive, alive in your guys' time, or as young and silly as I am, because I'd probably have body parts pierced too. And I, I'm thinking, you know, bo- body piercing. I thought that's what bullets were for. But I, I don't know. But, and, and listen, if you've got those things, I could care less. That's not the issue. The issue that I'm dealing with is we have in our nature a rebellious streak. And it rises up. It's no different than me walking in downtown Jerusalem on the Sabbath just daring a Jew to touch me. Okay? Because they'll be defiled. And that little rebellion part of me says, watch this. Blonde hair, blue eye. I am a Gentile. I mean, I might as well just took a great big old billboard out and said, touch me, I'm a Gentile. Because if a Jew touches a Gentile on the Sabbath, he's defiled. If the Messiah comes, then he goes to hell. And I'm just sitting there and you can literally watch the people move out of your way. It's like Moses part in the Red Sea. And I just took great pleasure in that. Why? I'm not trying to win the Jews. 
There was a protest against inequality. It's, it's new. It's, there, it's not new. It's, it's, it's all over our society. Corinthian church was right in the middle of that society. Paul is basically saying, whatever standard your society sets up as the way in which your society um, shows a submissive spirit, submit to that standard. That's what he's saying. Submit to that standard. What does submission stand for? You know, I, re- I remember the other day, uh, uh, the first lady was in uh, Jerusalem, and she went up on the Temple Mount, and she had a scarf on. Why? It is a sign of submission to the authorities that were on the Temple Mount. Okay? Paul's basically saying that in you Christian women who are in the church in Corinth, if you have a veil, don't throw it away. Wear it. Show your sign of submission. He uses in the text that it is a sign of submission that the angelic angels see. Okay, what's the difference between that and meat offered to, to idols? Paul said, "Idol is nothing. But if I cause a brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again." So why would women struggle with having their heads veiled? We're not a veiled society. Some people will say this is hats. It's not in the text. For many years, think about it. For many years, when you gathered to church, the women all had hats on. Why do you, where do you think we got the phrase Easter bonnet from? Why? You're going to worship, you're going to gather together, and you're going to... Wear a hat. And what were the men supposed to do when they entered into the building? Take their hats off. All right, they still get on you about it today. That's why I don't ever wear a hat. I don't have to remember them kind of things. Okay? So, you see this in some societies today, Arabs and some Israelis, that there is a veil. Paul is saying, if that's the custom, then do it. That's the custom, then do it. One of the things that I noticed when I was in um, Russia is uh, women don't wear makeup. Why? Only the harlots wear makeup. And I thought, wow. I mean, I was walking around a rail and you could see women with makeup and now I know what they were saying. All right? So if any of you women get the privilege of going there, you can leave that little thing behind because you don't need it. All right? I mean, it's no different than I, if you're going to preach, you have to wear black shoes. Where's that in the Bible? Okay? But their custom was black shoes. Paul is saying, do it. It's important that you be submissive. It's important that the world knows that you are maintaining the standard because it is a divine standard. A divine standard. Okay? Look at your text one more time. Somebody stole mine. I praise you because you remember me in everything. Hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. The church in Corinth was still teachable. Okay? But what you'll see in the next few weeks is the design stated, the design applied, the design defended, the design harmonized, and the design responded to. But you need to understand, yes, there's a cultural specific in this text, but it's still an eternal truth. You've got to get a hold of that. All right? It's not something you can say, well, Paul was mad at women. Nope. 
God said, here's how it is. Men, you have a responsibility and authority. You will give an account for what you've done with that authority. Women, you have a position of submission. And you will give an account for your submissiveness. Alright? That's the standard that's set before us. And how does it look? And how does it manifest itself? And that's what we'll look at in the next few weeks. Father, I just give you the praise for this text. I give you a praise for my brother Paul and the amazing things that he's done. Uh, and still doing, Lord, through your holy writ. Father, may we have the desires to fulfill our roles. And Father, yes, there is responsibility with authority. And Father, there is also great judgment with that authority. Father, may we, the men of this body of believers, be humble servants as Jesus showed us. May we bow before your throne. And Father, as Isaiah, here I am, send me. Father, may we be willing to have hearts of drink offerings poured out to your glory and praise. Father, may the women of this fellowship, Father, may they have attitudes of submission. May they with eagerness await your instruction. And Father, even if it comes from their husbands or from their spiritual leaders, Father, may they just soak it up and say, pour me out, my King. Father, may the angels look on with great, great joy at seeing your people submitted to your design, to your glory, in Christ's precious name. Amen.